Hello, welcome to TanakhStudy.com. I'm Yael Ziegler, and we left off last time in Perk Dalad Pasukhet, when Moshe was in the middle of getting these signs from God that are going to help him to uh, help Am Yisrael to believe in him, which was, of course, his um, uh, his his concern. He said, uh, they won't believe me. And so God begins to give him some signs in order to make sure that the people will believe him, that he has been visited by God, that he's been sent on this mission by God, and that he is going to take them out of Egypt. Uh, we spoke a little bit about the significance of these signs within the context of convincing Am Yisrael that Moshe is the messenger and that he represents God and that he has the ability to carry through with his promises. But um, we also spoke about the fact that Moshe himself experiences these signs and that he experiences these signs in somewhat of a negative context. These are dread signs. They're fearful signs. They cause Moshe, certainly the first one, to run away. They cause Moshe and the second one to uh, be struck with leprosy which certainly uh, on his hand, which certainly can't be a pleasant experience. And so we noted that many of the biblical interpreters suggest that these signs are also uh, either punitive for Moshe or educational for Moshe, in which they're teaching him both to trust God and to be a good leader and not to suspect Am Yisrael of being either unworthy or um, or not or not uh, properly believing in God, um, we saw the first two signs in the last class, and today picking up in Parak Dalid Pasuk Tet, we're going to see that God is going to offer Moshe one one final sign. Pasuk Tet v'haya ivlo yaminu gamlish nehau tot haele v'lo yishmeun lekolecha v'lakachta mimei hayor. So here God says to Moshe, if they will not believe you even after the first two signs and they will not listen to your voice, then you should take from the waters of the river of the Nile and you shall spill them out onto the dry land and it will be that these waters that you take out of the river they will become blood on the dry land. And so to some degree, we mentioned this last time as well, God seems to, to some extent, uh, agree with Moshe's assessment that faith is very hard to come by and that it's possible that the people, in fact, will not listen to him, will not believe that, in fact, he has been sent by God, that God has appeared to him, that he has the ability or the wherewithal um, to actually extract them from Egypt. Um, and, and God seems to agree that, in fact, uh, even the first two signs might not be enough. And so he's going to give him one final sign. And this one final sign is somewhat different than the first two in several ways. First of all, certainly Moshe does not do it on the spot. The first two signs, God tells him what to do. He says, throw the stick on the ground and it's going to become a snake. Uh, and, and that happens in front of Moshe's eyes. And again, God tells him, put your hand in your bosom and, um, and and take it out, and it becomes leprous. So Moshe experiences these signs as God is telling him. Well, this, first, this third sign, certainly he does not experience at the time because it means it requires him to be in Egypt next to the Nile. The Yaor is the Nile River, and Moshe is not there. Moshe is in Midian. Moshe is in the desert when God appears to him. And so this sign is not, uh, it seems to be less for Moshe. Uh, it seems to have less of an educational, less of a punitive element for him. There's no ind indication that this sign is really for him. 
instead, what actually uh, we focus on in this third sign is Egypt. There seems to be more a message that's being that's being given to Amisrael more about Egypt. It, it directs our attention to the Nile, the powerful symbol of Egypt. We've actually already met this river in Parak Aleph when Paro was decreeing that all of the boys, all the baby boys who are born should be thrown into the Yeor. Well, here, what God tells Moshe is you should take some of the water out of the out of this river and the water will turn into blood when you spill it on the dry land. Well, first of all, I think that the symbolism here is very powerful, right? The Nile, of course, is the source of life. It's the source of fertility and it's being turned into blood, which symbolizes death. Um, this certainly evokes Paro's own decree, of course, throwing the babies into the water causes death in the water and perhaps the turning into the blood also evokes basically more of a consequence even than a punishment. It's Paro who threw those babies in the water. That's why the water has turned to blood. It, of course, also foreshadows the plagues. That's going to be the first one of the plagues. Um, and perhaps the most significant point here that seems to suggest the waning of Egyptian power, of Egyptian prosperity and success, which all of which is represented by the Nile. But perhaps the most significant point is, is that unlike the previous two, the previous two signs, which were temporary states, right? So Moshe took the staff and he turned it into a snake, but then he turned it back into a staff again. And the same thing happened with his leprous hand. His hand turned leprous, but then it went back to being healthy again. Well, here, that doesn't seem to take place, right? The, the water of the Nile remains blood. And this suggests that it's not simply going to be a temporary state that will cause Egyptian power to wane, but rather that it's going to, it's going to be a permanent affair. Um, well, at this point, I just want to make a, a general point, which is that um, Moshe's second objection, uh, or third objection, really, but his second objection about Am Yisrael um, is, is now answered by God. God says, indeed, it's possible that they won't believe you, but I'm going to give you these three signs which are going to help them believe you. I just want to make one comment about the initial objection of Moshe with regard to Am Yisrael, which was actually his second objection. His first one was about himself, but his second one, he said in Parak Gimel, Pasuk Yud Gimel, what will I do if they ask me your name? What will I do if they express some sort of need to know more, to have more confirmation? And God gives Moshe a rather obscure answer, which is filled with the word Eheyeh, right? We saw that last time, Eheyeh, Shereyeh, Eheyeh, Shalachani Elechem, Right. Um, I, I will be what I will be. I, I will be has sent me, you to me um, uh, and and or sent me to you, as the case may be. And in this case, Moshe uh, seems to, to initiate the possibility of a, a similar objection. They won't believe me. But this time, God gives Moshe a much more concrete answer, one which seems to revolve around very physical experiences most of which seem to, or all of which really involve Moshe's hands, right? Moshe's hands are now perhaps the physical representation of a more abstract promise that was initially given to Moshe. So that if, if, if God first tells Moshe, don't worry, I'll be with them. And Moshe says, no, 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 they still won't believe me. And this time God says, fine, they won't believe you. Take your body and physically represent the idea that I am going to accompany you. Okay, so we've made that point, and now I want to go on and see Moshe's fourth objection, which comes back to his own 
personal um, uh, fears, right? If you recall, his first objection was, Who am I that I should go to Paro and that I should take Amisra out of Egypt? Well, look again at what he says here in Pasuk Yud. So Moshe says to God, Please, my God, I have never been a man of words, neither in times past nor uh, uh, now that you have spoken to your servant. I am heavy of mouth and heavy of tongue. Look at how Moshe uses the word anochi here twice. Once again, he seems to uh, be concerned about his own abilities. That brings us back to objection number one. So if we look at these four objections, they seem to be uh, have a certain pattern. First, Moshe objects about his own abilities. Then he turns his attention to Am Yisrael. Then he goes back to Am Yisrael and returns to his own objection. Well, his own objection about himself. Well, in Pasuk, um, uh, in Pasuk Yud, what is it, in fact, that he's saying about himself? What is lo ish devarim anochi? I'm not a man of words. What does it mean? Kvad peh lashon. The different refreshim go in different uh, directions here. Rashi talks about a speech impediment. The Shadal says maybe that Moshe is uh, claiming that he's not eloquent. Perhaps he's unable to be persuasive. The Rashbam claims that there's a problem in terms of Moshe's knowledge of the Egyptian language. Uh, other Mefarshi maybe say he's claiming that he doesn't know Hebrew. Um, certainly he can't go speak to Ami Israel if he no longer remembers Hebrew. He can't go into Paro if he's no longer fluent in Egyptian. In any case, whatever exactly it means, God's answer is the same as his first answer. Look in Pasuk Yud Aleph. Right? So God's response is, who gave man a mouth? Who made him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Was it not I? God. And once again, we have the Anochi of God meeting the doubtful Anochi of Moshe. Moshe's claim is, I am not capable. And God's claim is, but I am. And of course, I am the one who am sending you on this mission. It's very, very similar, in, at least in terms of substance, to what God said to Moshe back in, in, in Moshe's first objection when God said, but I will be with you. And so here God again tells Moshe basically the same thing, but in a more concrete way. He doesn't just say, I will be with you in some sort of intangible way, but I gave you the mouth. I gave you the ability to speak. I give you all these physical capabilities and I will the one, I'm the one who will determine whether or not you will be able to speak. Even if you have a speech impediment, even if you don't know the language, even if you are not naturally eloquent or persuasive in your speech. So what we see is the concretization of God's two answers to Moshe at the beginning. He now gives Moshe a concrete answer um, in these two objections that are raised again in Parak Dalit. At this point, let's look at just at the next pasuk, pasuk Yubet, the Ata Lech. At this point, once again, God, I think it's the third time already, tells Moshe, okay, and now go. I've answered your two questions again. Moshe, uh, God has been very, very patient 
with Moshe's objections, he answered in, in I think, uh, great detail all of Moshe's concerns. Um, and, and, and God now says, and now go, and I will be with your mouth, and I will teach you what you will say. And at this point, Moshe uh, in Pasuk Gimel um, issues a fifth objection. And look at what he says. Vayomer, bi Adonai. And he said, please, my master, shelachna biad tishlach. Send, please, in the hands of him who you will send. It's a little bit of a convoluted sentence or a convoluted translation. But of course, really what Moshe seems to be saying is, find someone else, right? Send in the hands of another messenger. And here Moshe simply offers a blank refusal, no explanation. It seems to be a final desperate attempt to extricate himself from this task. And here, of course, um, we have the problematic next pasuk in which God becomes angry, right? Look in pasuk Yudal, Vayichar af Adonai b'Moshe, this is a very uh, long, uh, a long explanation. Uh, I'll translate and then I'll try to explain. And God became angry with Moshe and he said, Behold, is not Aaron your brother, the Levi? I know that he will surely speak. In other words, he seems to be a speaker. And also, behold, he is coming out to greet you and he will see you and he will be joyous in his heart. And you will speak to him, and you will place these words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you both what you should do. And he will speak on your behalf to the nation, and he will be for you as a mouth, and you will be for him as a, well, the literal translation here is God, but what it seems to mean is spokes spokesperson, the same way that God speaks to Moshe, Moshe will then speak to Aharon. Um, well, this is really a, um, uh, it's a bit of a question, what, how the appointment of Aharon relates to God's anger, relates to Moshe's final, uh, rather, you know, non-explained objection. Rashi here suggests that in fact, and this is Rashi suggests this in the wake of the Midrash, that this is a punishment for Moshe. There's a, um, a, a, a sort of a general rule in Chazal that, that when God becomes angry, it's always followed by a punishment. And so the logical uh, search for a punishment is in the continuation of this Pasuk. And Rashi assumes that or, or uh, suggests that the punishment of Aharon, the punishment of Moshe is the appointment of Aharon here to the kihuna, to the priesthood, and that really Moshe should have gotten it, but that uh, Aaron gets it in, because of this fifth objection. What seems to be perhaps a, a more shot-like reading is that the punishment here is that um, Moshe, his role is somewhat reduced. It should have been that Moshe was going to be the direct um, representative of God to the people, but because of Moshe's 
um, objections here. So God appoints Aaron alongside Moshe, and ultimately um, Aaron becomes the one who speaks to the people on God's behalf. And so things go through a few more stages, basically. Um, and so what we have here is um, the the end of Moshe's objection. Moshe objected uh, to the use of his mouth. He was more comfortable in using his hand, right? If you saw that in the first part of this chapter, when God uh, seems to commission Moshe's hand to do these otot, to do these signs before the people, Moshe seemed very comfortable with that. That's something that we certainly see at the beginning of Moshe's story. Moshe's first act is actually to use his hand. He's less comfortable in using his mouth. This is going to play itself out in several different ways later on in the Tanakh and especially in the story of Moshe's undoing. When God tells Moshe all the way in Bimibar Perak of Aleph to speak to the rock, to use his mouth, and Moshe is more comfortable and hits the rock. And that's, that's the reason that Moshe is disqualified from entering the land. Some of the different Midrashim actually seem to suggest that it's this story here that uh, causes Moshe not to enter the land. And perhaps the Midrash connects these two stories for this reason, because here we already see that Moshe is uncomfortable um, representing God through the mouth. In any case, God gives him Aharon as a spokesperson. And then in the final pasuk of the section, God says in pasuk design, and this staff you should take in your hand, the one that you should do with it, the signs. So the signs seem to be the signs uh, that he's supposed to do to Am Yisrael, but perhaps they also lead us to the to Moshe's uh, bringing the makot, the plagues, upon the Egyptians, and that, of course, for that he won't need much of his mouth, but more his action, his hand, his staff. Um, in any case, Moshe has been commissioned. This seems to be the end of the story of Moshe's commission. I just want to make one point about Pasuk Yud Gimel, which we already read, and that is that when God describes Aaron coming out to greet Moshe, uh, he actually describes him coming out and being happy in his heart, which I think is a wonderful description. Here, many of the Midrashim pick up on the fact that at this point, we have the beginning of the restoration of good brotherly relations. This is something that seemed to be a very big problem in Sefer Bereshit, which culminated in the sale of Yosef, which, of course, as we've noted, sets into motion the whole story of slavery. And so it's perhaps not uh, unrelated that the beginning of the story of redemption from slavery begins with the fixing of relationships between brothers. And Aaron, when he comes out to greet Moshe, is going to be very joyous, even though to some degree Moshe, who's the younger brother, is going to supplant him and sort of, you know, swoop in and become the leader of the people, even though he hasn't been around for many years. Now we move to the next section, where we see that Moshe has taken up his mission. Let's look in Pesach Yudchet. Vayelech Moshe Vayashov El Yeter Chotno. So Moshe goes and he returns to his father-in-law, Yeter, Yeter, Yitro, seems to be the same person. And he said to him, I will go now and I will return to my brethren who are in Egypt so that I will see if they are still alive. And Yitro said to Moshe, 
go in peace. Now, what's perhaps significant here is that Moshe does not tell Yitro about his encounter with God. Um, and at the same time, he seems to sort of reclaim his Israelite identity. He calls them Achai Asher B'Mitzrayim. Um, he wants to go back and see if they're still alive. It's, you know, a, a, a you know, a trip after many, many years of not seeing people to see people's well-being. And he certainly does not reveal to Yitro the real reason that he's going. Um, Yitro agrees, Lech Shalom, go in peace. Now, in Pasuk Yotet, God comes back to talk to Moshe. Vayomer Adonai el Moshe b'midyan. Lech shuv Mitzrayim ki meitu kol ha'anashim ha'mevakshim et nafshecha. And God said to Moshe, in Midian... Go back, return to Egypt, for all of the people who seek your life are dead. Uh, this is a very hard pasuk. Why is God coming again? First of all, Moshe just said, I'm going. Why does God come again to Moshe? For these reasons, the Ibn Ezra believes that this pasuk is pretty much a summary of the previous section. There's something along the lines of, God had said to Moshe, go back to Egypt, because there's no danger for you there. Um, of course, the problem here is that God here speaks to Moshe in Midian, and previously he was in the Midbar. Should these be considered identical places? Other Mepharshim actually regard this as a new dibor, a new um, uh, um, speech that God makes to Moshe. Why does God come to Moshe again? Perhaps because now Moshe is back with Yitro, Yes, he says, I'm going to go back, but he's perhaps lost some of the urgency of it. Uh, you know, an encounter in the desert while he's uh, leading a flock of sheep may seem a little bit less real when you return to civilization. And so God comes to Moshe in order to prod him into action. It's also possible that Moshe is taking action and that God comes here just to reassure Moshe that his life will not be in danger. The Ramban actually suggests that this is God's way of telling Moshe that you can, in fact, take your family, which leads us to the next pasuk. Moshe is not going to take his family into a situation in which he's putting them into danger. Um, and that, you know, uh, Ramban says that this is what God wanted Moshe to do in order to show that he's fully committed to the people he's meant to bring his family as well. Look in pasuk kav, vayikach Moshe et yishto v'etvanav, vayakivem al hachamor, and Moshe took his wife and his sons. This is very interesting. Of course, we only know of one son. We only know of Gershom. We have not yet met Eliezer. And um, many of the Mepharshim and the Midrashim here say that Eliezer was born just now. Um, and he, he puts them on the donkey and they return to the land of Egypt. And Moshe takes in his hand the staff of God. It's a very big question, a very big controversy among the biblical interpreters as to whether or not this is okay that Moshe takes his family with him. Of course, as we saw, the Ramban says, yes, this is meant to show Moshe's commitment to the cause. He's so certain, perhaps, of, God, um, of God's ability and willingness to take people out of Egypt that he's even willing to endanger his own family to bring them back to Egypt. The Ibn Ezra is, uh, does not agree here uh, with that position. And he says, you know, this was uh, uh, the wrong thing for Moshe to do. He should not be taking his family. This is not a, a family uh, opportunity for the family to relocate, but rather uh, he is meant to go on an urgent mission to take the people out of Egypt, and he should not be taking his family along. And in, far, in fact, we're going to see that, um, that Tzipora is not with Moshe later on when he takes the people out of Egypt. 
many of the biblical interpreters seem to think that the upcoming rather cryptic event that is going to happen um, uh, on their way at the lodgings um, is going to cause Tzipporah to turn around and go home. According to the Ibn Ezra's position, this may be God's way of telling Moshe, you should not be taking your wife and children with you. But in any case, we are going to find that, that they're not going to be with Moshe at the end of the story. So at some point they leave, the Tanakh does not make it clear exactly when they leave. At this point, Moshe gets yet another message from God. He's on his way to Egypt. So God says to Moshe on his way to return to Egypt, See all of the wonders which I have put into your hands, and you should do them before Paro, and I will harden his heart, and he will not let he will not send out the nation. Now, um, leaving aside the philosophic implications of the idea of God hardening Paro's heart, certainly this seems to be part of the plan. The plan is to take us to the next pasuk, which is Makat uh, Bechorot, the Amarta El Paro, and you will say to Paro, Ko Amar Adonai Bnei Yisrael. So says God. My son, my eldest son, is Israel. Va'omar elecha, shalach et bni ve'yavdeni. And I said to you, send out my son so that he should serve me. Va'timain l'shalacho, and you refused to send him. Hine anochi horeg et bincha v'chorecha. Behold, I am going to kill your eldest son. So the uh, goal of this story seems to be to take us to Makat Bechorot. We skip over all of the Makot, maybe with this one word, the Moftim, right? You're going to do lots and lots of wonders. And they're all irrelevant because the goal is that Paro won't pay any attention to these wonders. And instead, he will refuse to send the people out. All of this so that I should make the point to Paro that Am Yisrael is my Bechor, it's my firstborn child. The firstborn child implies perhaps a child that is uh, that you're particularly nurturing, perhaps a child that is has particular obligations in terms of obedience and service. Uh, we know in Tanakh that all first things belong to God, first fruits, first animals, and also Am Yisrael, who are somehow considered to be the first child of God. This is to make the point that really everything belongs to God, but we give the first thing to God as a special kind of, of, of service of God in order to show that really everything belongs to him. In any case, this ideological or theological point that is being made is the uh, perhaps the crux of the message that God is telling Moshe to give to Paro. For that reason, we skip over all of the makot. We get straight to makat echorot. That's the goal of the message that God is telling Moshe to tell Paro, which ultimately contains within it, I think, a basic message about the role of humankind. Beni bechori Israel, my uh, uh, firstborn child is Israel, and therefore he has a particular obligation to me, but he's really just fulfilling the obligation of all of humanity to serve God. And therefore, says God, I am going to take away your firstborn. And that leads us to Makat Bechorot. Now, this is really a very difficult section. 
and I'm going to come back to it in a minute, but I want to sort of end today's shiur with the next few psukim, which, you know, many have noted is a very cryptic section. It's perhaps one of the most elliptic sections in the Tanakh. There are many things here that we can't understand, many things here that are unclear. It's been the subject of a tremendous amount of biblical interpretation. We're going to try to make a little bit of sense of it, and particularly within the context of this message that God gives to Moshe on his way to Egypt uh, for the first time, or for the first time to take Am Yisrael out. Let's read these psukim of this final cryptic section here of, that describes Moshe on his way to Egypt. We're told in Pasuk Kafdalet, Vayhi Vaderech Bamalon, and it was on the way in the lodging place, Vayifkeshehu Adonai Vayivakesh Hamito, and God encountered him and he sought to kill him. Vatikach Tsipora Tsor. And Tsipora took a rock, or uh, some sort of flint, Vatichrot et Orlat Bina, and she cut off her son's foreskin, Vataga Liraglav, and she dabbed it on his legs, Vatomer, and she said, Kichatan Damim Ata Li, for you are a bridegroom of blood to me. Vayirif Mimena, and he led him alone, Az Amra, and then she said, Chatan Damim Lamulot, a bridegroom of blood because of circumcision. And that's a very rough translation. I'm just going to say a few questions that arise from this really cryptic incident. Who is the he? Who is God trying to kill? Is it Moshe? Is it his son? The biblical interpreters are conflicted about this. Which son are we talking about? When uh, Tzipora takes the flint and cuts off the foreskin of her son, is it Eliezer, who we actually haven't really met yet by name, or is it Gershom, who was, who was born quite a while ago? Well, again, the biblical interpreters are conflicted about this question. Perhaps most important of all, why? Why does God want to kill him? Why does circumcision, circumcision help? What is the meaning of Tzipora's action? What's the meaning of Tzipora's statements? What does it mean, Chatan Damim? These questions are certainly beyond the, the capabilities of this uh, brief 30-minute shiur, which we're really coming to the end of. We cannot answer it all. I will just say a few brief ideas that I'll leave you with before we come to our next installment of Sefer Shemot, which we'll pick up in Perak Dalet Pasuk Kavzayin. Some of the biblical interpreters go in the direction that this, in fact, is a punishment for Moshe. Is it a punishment for Moshe because he didn't give his son a brit milah? And if so, why didn't he give his son a brit milah? Was it because um, of his of his uh, being in Midian with a Kohen Midian? Is it because he was in a household that didn't circumcise, in which case it could be Gershom? Some of the biblical interpreters suggest this. Is it because Eliezer was just born and he didn't give him a brit milah because of the dangers of travel? That's another possibility. Um, some other biblical commentaries suggest that this, in fact, is a punishment for Moshe, not because he didn't give his son a brit milah, but because he objected to his mission. In fact, the Rashbam says that this is where God punishes him for saying, Shlach na shlach. And there's a very interesting reading that is uh, that the Radak brings in the name of his father that actually reads the previous psukim in this way. 
In fact, starting in Pasuk Kafbet, Moshe is speaking to Paro and saying, So says God, my son, Beni Bechori Israel, my firstborn son is Israel. But in Pasuk of Gimel, God is speaking to Moshe, not to Paro. The Omar Elecha, and God says to Moshe, I said to you, Shalach et Beni Veavdeini, send out my son so that he can serve me. But Tima'in Lashacho, and you, Moshe, refused to send him. I am going to kill your firstborn son. And that takes us to the next story. That's an incredible reading. Uh, it certainly is a possible reading. It's not the most common reading, but it suggests, in fact, that this story takes place on the backdrop of Moshe's objections. I'll mention one uh, final possibility, and that that is that this is not a punitive section, but rather something that is meant to educate Moshe. In any case, um, without really delving into the different ways in which these different um, possibilities can play out, I will say a couple things. Uh, what Moshe receives here is a lesson, whether a punitive lesson or an educational lesson, that Mila, which involves shedding blood, uh, can, even though it contains some sort of danger, it's necessary, it can even save one from further danger or perhaps from divine anger. This lesson may be educating Moshe to reconnect with his people through Mila. It may be educating Moshe not to be afraid of um, the dangers of the road, the dangers of his journey ahead. It may be educating Moshe for teaching Am Yisrael later on how to use blood, how to put blood on the doorpost in order to save the Bechorot. If you look at the word Vataga, right, and she dabbed his legs, the same word is going to be used later in Perak, um, in Perak Yudbet, when, when, the, uh, when Bnei Israel puts the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, Vihigatem El Hamashkof, and actually the famous Midrash says, that the blood of the lamb was actually a mixture of the blood of the of the Korban Pesach and also the blood of the Milah, of the circumcision. So there does seem to be a connection between this event and that event. Here Moshe saves his child, or perhaps even his Bechor, from the danger by engaging in an act of circumcision, which involves, uh, even though it involves danger and perhaps bloodletting, it still is about connecting with God. It's about becoming part of a breed, of a covenant. Well, these are some random thoughts that I've sort of spilled out about this very cryptic section. Certainly, it's a very difficult section to understand. And in the brief time that we have, it's uh, nearly impossible to really arrive at any simple explanation, what we call shot explanation, of these verses. But I, I did want to throw out a couple of ideas to give a sense of why these um, specific, why this specific incident takes place on Moshe's way down to Egypt. What we're going to find in the next section is we're going to find actually Moshe and Aharon meeting and Moshe's arrival in Egypt and his encounter both with Am Yisrael, with the nation of Israel, and with Paro. And that's going to launch the story. Uh, all this part has been sort of a backdrop to the story. At this point, Moshe is on his way. As I said before, after this incident, we're not going to hear again about Tzipporah. We're not going to hear again about his children being with him. We're only going to meet them again in Parshat Yitro, when they're clearly not with Moshe, but they are uh, they, they are with Yitro. And many of the Mepharshim suggest that at this moment, after this encounter with danger on the road down to Egypt, 
Tzipor takes her children and goes back to Midian. We will pick up in Perak Dalet, Pasuk of Zion, in our next class.